I didn't believe it yesterday, but I'm trying to believe it today. <laughs> and some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, good morning, Village Church. If you have your Bible, please open it to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We will be looking at verses 7 through 16. 7 through 16. Here's God's word. Whatever, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by all possible means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If anything we think otherwise, God will reveal also that to us. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. This is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. Lord, as we come to your truth. I pray that you will help all of our unbelief. I pray that you will help us to see that you are Lord in the storm, that you are the cornerstone of our faith, of our life, of our whole existence. So Holy Spirit, we we need you to be our helper. We need you to be our counselor. We need you to lead us into all truth. We need you to help us to understand that we're never alone. We need you to help us to see that we're not abandoned. We need you to help us to make sense of life, to make sense of the things that we go through. And we need you to help our unbelief. And I do pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. What is the current state of your life? at this moment? How would you describe it? Is it a life in triumph? Or is it a life in tension? Or is it a mixture of a mixture of both? Where are you at this moment in your life? Some of you are experiencing triumph. Some of you may be experiencing tension. Others may be in, in, in a combination of both depending upon the situation or the relationship that you have in your life. Life is a combination platter of triumphs and tensions. Triumphs and tensions. Or let me put it this way. Life is a combination platter of all your favorite foods. And life is a combination platter of foods you don't like to eat. It's a combination platter of both. And at any given moment, you eat both. You partake of both. You experience both. And you must press through both. And this pressing on through the triumphs and, and tensions of life is, 
is what I want to talk about today in, in Philippians 3. And because here in, this, in these verses, the Apostle Paul shares with us his triumphs. He shares with us the, the, the tensions that he had in his walk with Christ and in his Christian faith. His triumphs are listed in verses 7 through 11. He says he counts everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus his Lord. For I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know in the power of his resurrection, share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and that by all means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Freedom from having confidence in the flesh is what Paul is talking about here. Counting all things a loss that, that interferes with his relationship with Christ. Growing in knowledge of Christ and his resurrection. Suffering for Christ. And living a life, living in Christ's righteousness. These are the triumphal experiences that Paul is talking about that he's actually experiencing in his life right now. What are yours? What are your triumphs in your walk with Christ, in other relationships, in your personal life? What are they? Did you think about them? Can you list them in your career, in your job life, in your educational life, in your ministry, in your marriage, your parenting? What are the triumphs that, that you are experiencing? Physical, mental, emotional health and service and breakthroughs. Freedom for certain additions. What are your triumphal experiences? What are they? Now, for some of you, they may be far in between. They may be passing moments. They may be seasonal. They may be sand in your hands. But, hey, we all still have them at various moments in our life. Triumphal experiences. And for Christians, people who have saving faith in Jesus these triumphal experiences will always be partial. They will always be partial. They will always be incomplete. They will be imperfect because they are just a taste of what is still to come. Okay, that's an amen statement there. Okay. Still to come. You would not get the full triumphal experience as believers on this side of heaven. At all. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how great you are. I don't care how solid you are in your theology. You will not get the full experience on this side of heaven. It will always be complete. It will always be partial. And Paul understands this. He understands this. That's why he, 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 he balanced what he says in verses 7 through 11 with what he says in 12 through 16 because he wants to prevent us from having a false impression about him and prevent us from having a false impression about the Christian life and what we should expect this life to actually be. He wants us not to have a, a false expectation. The Christian life is always going to be a life where you always have triumphs, where everything is always great. No, there's tension. There's also tension. Verse 12, it says, not that I have already attained this, everything it says in the previous verses, or have already been made perfect. What does he mean? He means 
Even though he's a believer, he hasn't attained all those things yet. He, had, he didn't attain them at his, at his conversion. And his conversion, here's the thing, his conversion did not guarantee him a life of constant triumphal experiences. That's another amen statement. Your conversion, just because you become a Christian, that, that, that faith does not guarantee you a life where everything will always be in triumph for you. That, your faith does not guarantee that. Paul's justification by faith in Christ alone did not produce in him and would never produce in him a perfect obtaining of all those things he said in verses 7 through 11. It doesn't. He goes on to say that, that they would never produce this perfect obtaining of these things. I'm not already made perfect. Paul's progress in the Christian life has not brought him to a place of completion. It has not brought him to a place where he can say, I no longer need a Savior. Where I no longer need Jesus. Where I just need a little bit of Jesus. He has not brought him to that. He still struggles. And so will you. He still struggles to to, to live in Christ's righteousness. He still struggles to, to live a life of faith. We all fall short, just like Paul falls short. He still has a sinful nature. You still have a sinful nature. Paul lives in the already and not yet. And so do you. And nothing that you can do in your faith is going to change that reality. You live in the already and not yet. If you ever seen Stranger Things, it's called the Upside Down. That's where we live. And nothing you can do can change that. But you do get a taste of what's to come. You get a taste of the triumph that you will experience when Christ returns. You have to embrace that and understand that. Now, what does all this mean for us? It means that in our faith in Jesus Christ would never bring us to a place of a complete grasping of what Paul says in verses 7 through 11. Your growth and progress in faith won't do it either. You, when you receive Christ in faith and as Lord and Savior, you will always live in the already and not yet. You will always live there. And so in the already and not yet, it's like a life on a seesaw. It's up. It's down. It's up. Is down. And you have to embrace that. There's nothing you can do that can get you off that seesaw in this side. Well, you can die. That'll get you off of it. But I'm not saying you should die. But that's one way to not to be on the seesaw. But if you're living, the already not yet will be a life on the seesaw growing up and down. And that's the norm. What's abnormal is you pretending like you're not on it. That's abnormal. You trying to get off of it is abnormal. You have to embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace the seesaw. Accept it. But Pastor Alex, you don't know what it's like. If I no longer had this problem or this struggle, I would be a better Christian. But Pastor Alex, doesn't Jesus want to heal me? Doesn't he want me to be happy? Doesn't he want me to have joy? Here's the thing. Christ through his spirit 
He does clean out the junk in your heart, in your life. But as he cleans out junk, he reveals junk. Okay? Your life is just a, a constant spring cleaning for Jesus that does not stop until you die and cross over to glory. That's all it is. He sets you free, then he reveals. He sets free, he reveals. He cleans, he reveals. Waxing off, waxing on. All that's all he's doing in your life. That's that's our life. That's our experience. You say, well, I don't like that, Pastor. Well, I don't like it either. But that's our life. That's the life here and and, and, and the already and not yet. I was supposed to um do a devotional last Friday for the Lee High School football team and it got postponed because they had to make a change of schedule. And I struggled with, what am I going to say to these young men? I struggled all week trying to decide when I go into this devotional, what am I going to tell these guys, these football players? And so I thought, well, maybe I can just, you know, give them a quick talk and about teamwork and connect a few Bible verses to it. Maybe I should do that. Then I said, well, maybe I need to come in and try to be cool and try to relate and and quote some hip-hop verses and, and try to really show that, hey, I understand your culture, and I understand you, team. I understand you. But I decided against all of that, and I was just going to be honest. And, and I was going to tell them this, life sometimes sucks. That's what I was going to tell them. Life sometimes sucks. And at some point, you have to slow down and take a knee and ask one question. Where can I go to make sense of life? At some point, you're going to have to slow down and ask yourself this question. Where can I go to make sense of life? Where can I go? And I ask you all the same question. Where did you go to make sense of your life? Where do you go when you need answers to questions? Where do you go when you need someone to tell you they love you? Where do you go when you need hope? Where do you go when you need to cry? Where do you go when you need advice? Where do you go when you need correction? Where do you go when you need to know that you're loved? Where do you need to go when you need to hear that you have value and self-worth and dignity? Where do you go when you're broken? Where do you go when you feel like giving up on life? Because at some point, we all feel like giving up on life. And if you're there, where do you go? When you feel like quitting. If you're new to the church, you know, this, these are the type of sermons that we have, real sermons about real life. Where do you go when you feel like calling it quits? Where do you go when you run into a brick wall at my Bulldogs Day Saturday? Where do you go? Where do you go when you hit a brick wall? You say, well, I haven't hit one yet, but you will. And when it happens, where are you going to go? We all have places and people and things that we run to in order to help us make sense of life. And some of these are healthy and some are unhealthy. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, many of Jesus' disciples turned their backs on him and they no longer walked with him. Then he asked the twelve one question, do you want to go as well? And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So where do you go when you need to make sense of life? Yeah, go to healthy people, but you need to go to Jesus. 
you need to go to Jesus. He understands what it's like to be human. He understands what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by someone you entrusted. He knows what it's like to to have your friends turn their backs on you when you need them most. He understands what it's like to experience injustice. He even understands you. In Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Everybody should be standing up saying amen. You do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weakness, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Jesus knows what it's like to live in the already and not yet. He knows what it's like to experience triumphs and tensions. And he has sympathy and empathy for each of you. He's Emmanuel with you in both of those experiences in life. The triumphal ones and the ones that you live with tension. But do you believe it, saints? Do you believe it? That he's only with you in life as well. Or he's also with you when you're in tension. He's there with you in both. You never outgrow your need for Jesus. You never outgrow your need for a Savior. You're always going to be dependent upon him, no matter where you go in life, no matter how much you succeed, no matter how great things are. You still need him. You still need him. And the only way that we can press on through these triumphs and through these tensions is by pressing more and more into Christ. Paul says, not that I have already attained this, or I have already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He presses on through the triumphs, through the tensions. He presses on towards what he says in verses 7 through 11. He presses on because Christ has made him his own. Do you see what Paul is saying there? Do you understand what he's saying? He's pressing on more and more into Jesus. He's pressing on because Christ has made him his own. And that's a passive statement which highlights the fact that Paul didn't do anything. In that process, Paul didn't choose Jesus. It wasn't his good works that persuaded Jesus to to make Paul his own. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was going to persecute Christians on the road to Damascus when Christ called him to himself. Do you remember that? He was on his way to do damage to the church. But on that road, Christ interrupted his life. He interrupted his life. And on that road, Christ brought tension into Paul's life, a tension that will lead to triumph, that is faith, saving faith in Christ. And on that road, Christ revealed to Paul his need for a Savior. On that road, he he revealed to Paul that, that none of his righteousness before God made him right with God. And on that road, Christ made Paul his own. Christ chose Paul. Jesus chose him. Jesus redeemed him. And as a result of Christ's work, everything Paul does in life is just a response to what Christ has already done for him. It is Christ's finished work. His life, his death, his resurrection, his righteousness. So do you have standing faith in Christ today? 
Do you trust him as your Savior? Do you surrender to him as your Lord? How many of your kids like going to the playground? Raise your hand. Who loves the playground? Yes. All kids love a playground. And on this playground, all playgrounds have playground equipment. The swing set, the seesaw, the sliding board, the merry-go-round. I love the merry-go-round. That's my, that's my favorite um, playground equipment because you can get kids on and spin it real fast. And so on the playground, kids can be on this playground for hours. I mean hours. And they'll be there all day long. They don't ever want to leave. And some, because they're having so much fun. And this is how I want you to see the finished work of Christ, that it's a playground that you should never leave. His finished work for Christians is a playground. And on that playground, it's filled with all Christ's equipment, his death, his resurrection, his goodness, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his compassion, his acceptance, his love for you. Those are the things that are on Christ's playground. And as his people, you need to play on them. You need to play on them. If you need grace, you go swing on the grace swing set. Swing on it. It's his finished work for you. And when you try to leave the playground, that's what gets you in trouble. That's what gets you into trouble. Stay on the playground. And are you having fun? Are you playing? You have to be on the playground. You have to live there. Live there. His finished work is the only ground on which you can stand before the Father. And if you're not standing on that playground, then you're not standing before the Father in acceptance. It's Christ's finished work. One Christian theologian and philosopher says the church needs to function on the basis of the finished work of Christ, not on the basis of any inherent value in itself or any supposed and assumed inherent superiority. Our only basis as a church and as individual Christians is the finished work of Christ, period. That's what we stand on. So if you are in a triumph right now, you need to be on Christ's righteousness. If you're in tension right now, you need to stand on the finished work of Christ as well. No matter where you are in your experiences, you need to be on the playground of Christ's finished work in your life. You must continue to press into that more and more. I mean a full court press into it more and more. That's where you need to be. Remember, Christ has made you his own, not based upon your goodness but based upon his love for you. Love for you. You need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. He went to the cross as a payment for your sin. Not a down payment, not a partial payment, but a full payment. And in faith, you've got to trust him. In faith, you've got to surrender to him. And remember, he loves you. He knows you too. Did you know that? He knows you more than you know yourself. He knows all your issues, all your junk, all your drama, all your complaining, all your unbelief, all your discontentment, all your self-righteousness. He sees the depths of your heart and he loves you the same. He sees it all and he does not turn his back on you. That's the power and love of Jesus. 
that he sees the worst about you and he still loves you. He still loves you. But do you believe it? Again, where do you go when you need hope? Where do you go when you need reassurance? Where do you go when you need love? Where do you go when you're starting to give up on life? Where do you go? What ground are you standing on? What playground are you playing on? You know your life better than I do. You know where you're playing, where you're playing. Is it in the playground of Christ or is it in the playground of something else? Where are you playing, believers? Where are you playing? Jesus knows we have tensions in life. He knows we're going to have triumphs in life. He knows we're going to fall and fail. He knows this. And yet he never turns us away. So we press on through the triumphs and tensions in life because Christ has made you your, his own. That's why you can press on. That's why you can get up tomorrow morning and go back out into the world because you go out in the world knowing I'm not alone. I'm not an orphan. I'm walking out knowing who owns me. I'm walking out knowing whose name is over me. I walk out knowing who has my life. And that is my father. Because he's over my life, I can step out, even though it's hard, even though I want to quit, even though I may be experiencing all types of stresses in life. I can step out because I know Jesus is with me. Because if you don't think he's with you, then you're going to quit. You've got to know he's with you, that he has you. So we press on through the ups and downs. We press on to, to know more and more of Christ. We press on not having confidence in the flesh. We press on trying to live in his righteousness. We press on trying to walk in the good works that he's given us. We press on doing good to others. We press on in loving our neighbor. We press on because Christ has made us his own. That's why. Look at verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, straining to forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul isn't living a life in the rearview mirror. He's not living his life looking backwards. He forgets what lies behind and strains forward to what lies ahead. Now, please, don't take his words to mean he's in denial about the past or he's in denial about past triumphs and past tensions. Please don't take his words to mean that the past doesn't matter. Please don't take his words to mean he's hiding the past. He's not in denial. He's not hiding. The past matters. It just doesn't define him. It shouldn't define you. The past doesn't control him. The same should be true of us. For you, you don't have to live on past triumphs. You don't have to be the adult guy, the, the grown-up man who still wears his high school letterman jacket in his 40s, talking about who he used to be on the football field. I used to be good. I used to be this. Don't wear the high school letterman jacket as an adult male. Please don't do that. 
You're not in high school anymore. The past happened, but you don't have to live in the past. You don't have to live in your past experiences as a believer. Because some of you do that. Man, when I was in college, I used to really love Jesus. When I was in college, I, I, I used to share my faith all the time. When I, was, when I was single, I used to be able to help out a lot. I used to be able to serve more. And, but guess what happened? You have a job and a family now. And so what you used to be, now is going to be different from what it used to be. Let's make it better or worse. It means you're in a different place. And what you, and your, where you live your faith out now is going to be different from what it was in the past. Doesn't make the past better. This means you're in a different place now. Because when you're in college, you have no responsibility. When you're single, you don't have a, a wife or kids. So you have all the free time in the world. So you got to see where you are in life. What does it mean for me to be faithful to Jesus now? Not living on the past. Now. And it will look different. Not better or worse. Just different. Just different. So you have to press on. Press on. Now I lost my place. And I'm dealing with y'all. All right. <laughs> Pressing on. Nor did you have to be defined by past tensions. Past tensions. Past hurts. Past losses. Past abuses. Past injustices. Past sufferings. Because we all have a past when it comes to those things too. And they don't have to control us. But let's just be real and honest. Some tensions are much harder to press through than others. True? That's an amen statement. Some are harder to press through than others. Some past tensions are a lot harder to forget and leave behind. Because the tensions that we go through are not equal. We all have different experiences when it comes to the tensions in our life. And they are not always equal. Jesus knows this, and he has empathy for us in that. And so if you're living with some past hurt, some past tension, you can't seem to get through it, just know Christ is there with you in the midst of the pain still. He's still there with you. He's still there. Now, I'm going to say something here that some of you might not like, but I think it's the truth that there may be some tensions that we live with for the rest of our life that might not get healed until Christ comes back. Again, I'm just being honest with you. There are going to be some things that we go through, some things that we lose, something that we suffer, some experiences that we go through that might not get all completely healed on this side of glory. And we will have to live with that for the rest of our life. Does that mean Christ doesn't love you? It does not mean that at all. It means he's going to be Emmanuel to you in the midst of that. He's going to be in that place with you for the rest of your life as well. You've got to hold on to that. Does it mean he's hating you? Does it mean he's punishing you? He's with you as Emmanuel. I heard a powerful quote on one day while listening to one of the local Christian radio stations. And a caller came in on, on the show and he says, when you hit rock bottom, you'll find Christ is the rock at the bottom. When you hit rock bottom, you'll find that Jesus is that rock at the bottom. That's us. That's us. He is never not under your life. 
He's always there. When tensions of life bring you to the rock bottom, Jesus will be there as Emmanuel. And so, like a runner running a race, we can strain forward to what lies ahead because our life is in the hands of a faithful Savior. We can strain, we can move forward because of who Jesus is for us. And that means we don't have to do that alone. We do that in community. We do that with other believers. We do that as a body together. So that means whatever you're going through, you do not have to go through it alone. That is a choice that you make. Because Christ has given you not only his word, he's giving you his family. His people. Now, we got issues, okay? We ain't always going to love each other well. That's why we have short accounts with one another. So we struggle through the triumphs and tensions together as a family. Not just as individualistic Christians, but in community together. And in that community, Christ is with us. Christ is with us. Usually Christ ministers to his people through his people. Will you let him do that? Will I let him do that? Because we can't press on by ourselves. It's never you and Jesus on the, on the island. You and Jesus holding hands down the beach. There's other people on that beach with you. There's other people on that island with you. And they're your brothers and sisters. Now, some of you might not get along with all the time. And guess what? I don't get along with my real family all the time. <laughs> but we're still family. <laughs> And the same is here. We family. And so we do life together. Jesus is Emmanuel in your life yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That if you don't take anything else from this sermon, take those three things. Jesus is Emmanuel in your past, He's Emmanuel in your present, and He will be Emmanuel in your future. So whenever you're in doubt about anything, just pray to the Spirit, help me to believe that Jesus is with me. And he's with you, people. That's why I want you to know, he's with you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you are with us in the triumphs and the tensions. And because you have made us your own, we can press on through the ups and downs and the already and not yet in the upside down. So help us, Lord, to to be able to see you as faithful, to see you as good, to see you as a God who is forever with his people, who will never forsake us, who will never abandon us. So as we go out this week, I pray that we'll go out in confidence, knowing that we have a high priest who has empathy and sympathy for us and who helps us in our times of weakness. It is in his name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close?